You know, yesterday, uh, actually day before yesterday, I was so burdened about Oakland, especially as we drove down International Drive coming from the other side of town. I asked them to take me down, you know, the infamous International Drive. I saw the drug pushers and the prostitutes, children out on those streets. And I said, man, God, you could light a fire in this city. You, you could just, there's so much adversity and pain. And I'd always been taught all my life that usually the size of the fire is determined by the size of the adversity in your life. That if you've been brought out of more, that you're anointed more. But the Lord checked me. I said, Lord, there's so much adversity, you could light such a fire. He said, I do not determine my fire by their adversity. I determine my fire by the cry. In other words, God doesn't just come to deal with pain. God doesn't respond to pain. There's pain all over the world. God responds to a cry. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, turn from their wicked ways... Seek His face. Then He will hear from heaven. He'll hear the land. God responds to a cry. Saul didn't get the fire of God, though he went through a lot of adversity. It was David who got the fire because God heard his cry on the backside of a desert. And this morning, I feel like that's what's going on, that this is a cry. So for about the next minute, for the next 60 seconds, can we just do this one more time? Lift that organ up, Pastor Brad. Come on, I want us to lift our voices all over this room. Those of you who are watching by other campuses, right there where you're at, begin to lift your voice. Begin to cry aloud and spare not. Begin to weep between the porch and the altar. Come on, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Come Holy Ghost, come Holy Ghost, come Holy Ghost. Anoint us God, anoint us, anoint us, anoint us, anoint us. Hallelujah. Now, come on, let's put our hands together and give him a shout in this room. Can we do that? We magnify you to you. Amen. You know, we could stay here and worship all day, but I'm on an assignment, so I'm going to ask you if you'll find your seat. If you're able, just stay in the presence of God. Hallelujah. Everybody love Jesus? Amen. Praise the Lord. Man, I'm so excited. Guys, if one of y'all could grab a music stand for me, that'd be awesome. Hallelujah. Somebody smile real big at me. Yeah, it's better. That's an Oakland smile right there. It's an Oakland smile. If you only had one tooth, that'd be a Louisiana smile. Uh, 
Okay. I can't get any help in the room. Amen. All right. Somebody give your neighbor a high five. Tell them you're the best looking thing I've seen all day long. Now, everybody turn to your next neighbor, give them a high five and say, would you pray for me? I just lied in the house of God. I just lied. I just. <laughs> Woo. It's not good to lie in church. I said it's not good to lie in church. Amen. <laughs> All right. I'm on a time frame and we've on an assignment today. And I've only got about 45 minutes to pour into your life some real intense knowledge concerning the Word of God and concerning the last days. Amen? Let me just warn you up front, and for those of you who are watching by campuses all over, I'm not asking you to agree with me. I'm asking you to study till you get comfortable with what the Holy Spirit has for you. You know, we're all on our own faith walk. And uh, I've determined that your interpret I've, de- I've discovered rather that people's interpretation of s- scripture is largely based or colored by the lens of their life. In other words, the things you go through, uh, you find things in scripture that some people don't find, and and it's because that's a rhema to you, amen. And so I don't ask you to agree with me, but today I'm going to drop some things on you that I think are indisputable. Uh, concerning our times and the seasons. So go with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 16. Matthew, chapter 16. Come on, get over there. Matthew, chapter 16. And if you're taking notes, I hope you are, because a short pencil is better than a long memory. I don't care how intelligent you think you are. A short pencil is better than a long memory. Hallelujah. And a notepad like an Apple iPad. By the way, you guys, you know that little apple on the back of your phone? That's the mark of the beast. That's, I'm just, I'm just, I'm an, I'm an apple guy. I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm a Mac guy. Hallelujah. Uh, praise the Lord. Are y'all ready for the word this morning? Something's in me. I kind of feel the goofy spirit on me this morning. Matthew chapter 16. It could be because I preached nine times in the last six days. So I'm a little. A little mentally weary. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. And uh, would you do something with me? Would you stand for the reading of God's word? You know, whenever uh, Ezra read the word, the people stood. The word of God is holy. And it deserves reverence. Amen. Matthew 16, verse 1 through 4. And I'm going to be reading from the New King James, King James, the NIV, all of the above. So just kind of uh, flow with me here if we can, okay? Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Everybody say the Pharisees and, and say the Sadducees. Underline the word Sadducees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came, testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. Underline the word sign. It's very important. He answered and said to them, When it's evening, you say that it will be fair weather for the skies red, and in the morning it will be foul weather for the skies red and threatening. You're hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky. But you cannot discern the signs of the times. Underline that phrase, the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seek after a sign. There it is again. But no sign shall be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Holy Ghost, Lord, we need your help. Holy Spirit, you're the great teacher. 
The Word says that we don't need any man to teach it, for we have the Holy Spirit, and you're our teacher. You show us things to come. This is one of your primary roles to the believer, to show us things to come. This is a prophetic generation, so give us prophetic insight. This morning we pray in Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. And it, let me just ask you from the very outset, I'm really ADD. No, I mean seriously. And uh, like if you're moving a lot, I, I, I get off track. So for the next few minutes, if you could just stay real still and be real attentive, I've got a lot of information to plow through that I think will be relevant to where you are in life. And where you are in ministry. All right. The Bible says, Matthew 16, that a group came to Jesus and asked him for a sign that he was the Messiah. Now, here's something really important for you to understand from the outset in our teaching that there was a delegation of people uh, that was assigned by Pharisees and Sadducees, by the rabbis, to follow Jesus everywhere he went. You have to understand that for uh, hundreds, if not thousands of years, they had been looking for the Messiah. You also have to understand that in Jesus' day, it was not uncommon to have miracles. In fact, you can read all in the Old Testament through all of the prophets and everything that there were miracles that took place in Israel. I mean, Elijah called down fire from heaven. Elijah and Elisha raised people from the dead. You had people who were blind that were healed. You had, you know, demonized people set free. You had all of this stuff going on in Israel. So miracles were no new thing. But every time a man showed up and had this miraculous power with God in his ministry, the, the spiritual leaders of Israel would send out a delegation that would follow him around because, remember, they're looking for the Messiah. They're believing that Messiah is going to come. Now they're in the time of Roman occupation. They hate the Roman Empire. They don't like the Roman Empire being in their country. And they believe at any moment the Messiah, like David, uh, a, a Jewish Messiah to the Jews is not like God in flesh. It is another David-like individual who will reestablish the kingdom and bring peace and harmony to the nation. So they're looking for this person who has this extreme, unique power with God to come and bring them deliverance. The problem was they had been raised with two mindsets and one mindset had become stronger than the other and you just have to look into Jewish teaching and culture to understand this you can find most of this in the Judaic encyclopedia if you can get your hands on one but anyway uh, there are two, two realms of thought. You have this Messiah ben Joseph, which means the Messiah is going to be a suffering servant like Joseph. But then you have Messiah ben Judah, which says that the Messiah is going to become a conquering king. Well, if you're under Roman occupation and you're needing to be delivered, what is naturally, which one are you going to be looking for? You're going to be looking for the conquering king. Well, we know that Jesus came not only as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, but he came as the great high priest. So he's fulfilling both roles, Messiah ben Judah and Messiah ben Joseph, but in order to, to fulfill Messiah ben Judah as a conquering king, he has to come as a suffering servant because he's raising up a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of priests, and he is the king of kings. And so, so religion has this way of messing everything up. If you'll, if you'll just follow with me here, let me, let me just pour some stuff in you. So Jesus comes and Jesus addresses in this passage two groups of people, the Pharisees, everybody say the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. All right, the Pharisees were strict 
adherence to the law. When you, Jesus didn't just say things to say things. He didn't just talk to be talking. Whenever Jesus would say things like not every jot and not one jot or tittle will pass away from that. All of this is fulfilled. All of the word is fulfilled. He's directing that to people like the Pharisees because the Pharisees, when they would teach their students, would use phrases like that. Not one jot or tittle is going to pass away. And so he's directing that toward these religious groups. They're watching him in all of his ministry. And, and, uh, and so Jesus says that Pharisees were very legalistic. They were very strict readers and interpretate, and, and it was very literal. This is what the law says, and they're out to make sure everybody follows the law. The Sadducees, on the other hand, was really a, um, virtually a very liberal group. Uh, they had a lot of philosophy mixed in to their interpretation and a, a lot of, uh, of different things, uh, you know, different outlooks or interpretations. Interpretations of law kind of broke out. This, this is a very liberal, and I'm, I don't have a lot of time, so I've got to compress this. This is a very liberal group. One of the things about the Sadducees is they don't believe in the resurrection. That's one of the things. They don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. So it's interesting to me, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are coming to this group and asking for him, asking him for a sign. Are you the Messiah? Because we're looking for him, and are you the Messiah, and you need to give us a sign. Everybody say Sadducees. Now, in order to be a Sadducee, you, and even to this day, even to this day, in order to be of that sect, you have to be able to trace your lineage back to the sons of Issachar. If you go to the book of Chronicles, you'll find out the sons of Issachar were discerners of the times and seasons and knew what the people of God ought to do. In other words, the sons of Issachar were people who could look at what God was doing in the earth, look at the times, look at the current events that were going on and say, this is what God is doing in the earth. But by the time time they get into the New Testament, they're called Sadducees. time they get over into the New Testament, they become so religious, so churchy, that they don't even have the ability to discern the time. So Jesus is slapping them in the face, so to speak, with his words. When he says, I'm not going to give you a sign. A third thing you need to realize about this passage is that in, in rabbinical days or in, in biblical days, you've got to understand that for hundreds of years, the rabbis have said, we've seen miracle workers come and go and none of them have been the Messiah. How will we know who the Messiah is above everybody else? How do we determine who the Messiah is? I mean, if people can lay hands on the sick and they recover and all this kind of stuff and miracles take place in Israel, how do we know who the Messiah is? They said, okay, here's what we're going to do. They got their minds together. They said, these are four miracles that the Messiah is going to do. You can go do study on this online. It's called Messianic Miracles, and you'll find out that what I'm telling you is the absolute truth. I have been to Israel every year, sometimes twice a year, ever since I've been out of Bible college. I, I meet with rabbis all the time. One of my best friends is Rabbi Moshe, who lives in Jerusalem, and I've asked him about this numerous times. They believed, and they taught that the Messiah is going to do four specific miracles, signs, that are going to set him apart from every other the miracle worker that comes on the scene. One miracle was that he would heal a, born, a, a person born blind from birth. Well, you remember the scripture, blind Bartimaeus sitting beside the road, crying out, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. And, and, and the Lord heals him. You remember that, right? All right, so he fulfills that sign. And then the second one was that he would cast a demon out of a person who is both deaf and dumb. Doesn't He can't hear and he can't speak. Now, the reason this was a sign that qualified him as a Messiah is because the rabbis, had, the Pharisees, Sadducees, they believed in casting out devils and they practiced casting out devils, but they had a prescribed order of how they did the exorcism. They would ask questions. Who are you? How did you get in there? How many's in there? You know, how can we get you out? That kind of thing. And then they would cast that they would exercise the demons are you with me but if a person is deaf 
And if a person can't speak and they're demon-possessed, then you can't ask questions and you can't get responses. So therefore, you don't know how to cast it. And this is something only the Messiah could do. Well, you remember the story where they bring the deaf-mute boy to Jesus and the disciples can't get him free, but Jesus immediately casts the devil out and the boy can hear and speak and God restores this boy. You remember that. Well, this was a sign to that community, to these religious leaders that followed Jesus everywhere around, that he was the Son of God. The second sign, or the third sign, rather, uh, was that he would heal a Jewish leper. Never in Israel had a Jewish leper been healed. You say, well, hold it. What about Naaman who went and dipped himself in the muddy river and he got healed? Well, if you'll study, you'll find out Naaman, most people believe that Naaman was a Gentile. But never had there ever been a Jewish leper been healed in Israel. Well, you remember the story of ten Jews that are lepers, ten lepers come to Jesus and he heals all ten of them and he says to them, go show yourself to the priest. Yes, they did have to go show themselves to the priest for a ceremonial cleansing, for the rite of passage to get back into the community. But it was more than that. The priest and the rabbis, the religious leaders had taught that the Messiah would heal a Jewish leper. And Jesus, because he always does things exceedingly abundantly above all that you ever ask or think, didn't just do one, he did ten and sent them back and said, hey... Right? The fourth sign to prove that you were the Messiah is you had to raise a person from the dead after 36 hours. Because the Jews, even to this day, believe that when you die, this is the reason they do not embalm bodies. Death is a very holy thing. You do not desecrate a body, touch a body, do any harm to a body. It's a very holy thing when a Jewish person dies. Even to this day, they do not, this is what they practice. But they believe that the, the spirit of that person hovers close to the body for approximately 36 hours. After 36 hours, it goes to its eternal resting place. Well, Jesus, you remember in John chapter 11, uh, you, you had Lazarus, you have Mary coming to Jesus and saying, would you come? Our brother's sick. Jesus tarries his coming and lets Lazarus die. And then Jesus waits after Lazarus has died and waits three days to show up. So now it's in the fourth day. And you remember Mary said, well, you know, Jesus basically said, well, how's Lazarus doing? Well, he's been in there for, you know, three days. His body's stinking now. In other words, he's went to his eternal resting place. And this is the reason that Mary said, had you been here, my brother wouldn't have, have, have died. And this is the reason that Jesus responded like he responded because of their belief system, their mindset. He responded. He said, do you believe? I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Well, we, of course, we know he raises Lazarus from the dead after that 36-hour period. So watch this. By this time, Mark chapter, or Matthew chapter 16, all four of these specific signs that the rabbis said had to be fulfilled in order to prove that he was the Messiah would have to be. He's fulfilled all four of them. So now they're coming to him saying, come on, give us a sign that you're really the son of God. And Jesus' response is, hold, hold it, guys. You can go outside and you can look at the sky and you can tell what the weather is going to be by what the clouds are doing. But you don't have any discernment when it comes to the signs of the time. Everybody say the signs of the time. Now, the word times there is not the word chronos. There's two Greek words in your Bible for time, chronos and kairos. Chronos is one, two, three, four o'clock. But a kairos would be a set time. Everybody say a set time. 
So in other words, Jesus said you can discern the signs of the times. I mean, you guys are just living time out, you know, but you cannot discern the kairos. You don't know that you're living in a set time. In other words, Jesus was saying to the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you're the ones who said I had to do four specific miracles to prove I'm the Messiah, and here I've done all of these miracles and then some, and you don't even know that. You have been looking, so-called looking for a Messiah for hundreds if not thousands of years, and now you're set time. Everybody say set time. Now your set time is here and you can't discern the times that you're living in. Now I want to tell you, listen to me, I travel all over America. I travel all over the world. And I'm telling you, that's exactly where the church in America specifically is. We are so religious, so churchy, so used to doing the game, so used to going through the motions, that now we are living in the most powerful prophetic days of history. Ladies and gentlemen, we are they upon whom the ends of the world have come. Did you hear me? We are they upon whom the ends of the world have come. You are the generation that could possibly be the final generation. What I'd like to do this morning is I would like to take you through about four or five signs that we're living in another set time, in a specific time, that we're living in the last of the last days. Now, here's the reason I'm going to do this, because you and I have heard for preachers for hundreds of years preaching that Jesus is coming at any moment. And we believe in the doctrine of eminence. The doctrine of eminence means that Jesus could come at any moment. That there's nothing holding him back. Well, today I want to show you why I believe we're close to the coming of the Lord. And I want to tell you, first of all, that the four or five signs I'm about to give you, you're the only generation in 3,500 years to be able to say you've seen those signs. And some of them have taken place in the last 24 months. And some of them have taken place in the last six months. And some of them are going to take place in the next 12 days. Now, that's not meant to scare you. I do not have a message of doom and gloom. I've got a message of power and boom. Right? So write these down. Number one, what is the first sign that I know that I'm living in the last days? Write it down. Number one, 1948, the rebirth of the nation of Israel. 1948, the rebirth of the nation of Israel. Of Israel. Listen to Matthew 24, verse 32, and just listen. You can get the tape of this later. Now learn the parable of the fig tree. When its branches become tender, puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. You also know that when you see all these things, that it's at the door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. I know the preterists have another interpretation of this, but for me, the fig tree here represents the nation of Israel. The fig tree represents the nation of Israel. Here's what Jesus said. When you see the nation of Israel spring forth, given birth to, and it puts out its branches and it starts producing leaves on those branches, he said, you need to understand this is a sign that your season has changed. Then he said, you need to understand not only has the season changed, but now my coming, what I'm about to do, what I've said I'm going to do in the last days is at the door. Right? Now, you also understand that when Jesus uttered these words, Israel was not a nation. They were the Roman Empire. Herod called them Palestine. 
They were not a nation. In fact, Herod called them Judea. They were later called Palestine. They were called Judea under Herod's rule. It was not called Israel. Israel was not a nation. So Jesus is prophesying about a day when Israel would become a nation. Now, if that's not enough, and, and I know we have people watching all over the world, and I know there's preterists out there that do not believe in the rapture of the church or the coming of the Lord and the clouds of glory and all of that stuff, and I don't know where you stand on that, but let me just tell you something. There is something that you cannot dispute. There, there is one fact you cannot dispute. Here it is. The prophet Ezekiel, the prophet Daniel, the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Zechariah, the prophet Amos, the prophet Jeremiah, the prophet Malachi, the prophet Joel. Not one single prophecy concerning the nation of Israel in any of those books, which is the majority, almost all of the prophets of the Old Testament, not one single prophecy concerning the nation of Israel could have ever been fulfilled until 1948. Not one. Because from, 19, or from, from A.D. 70 until 1948, Israel did not exist as a nation. But May the 14th and 15th, God gave birth to the nation of Israel. And God said, when you see the fig tree come out of the ground and begin to blossom, you need to know that a season has changed. Now, here's what dis- disturbs me. I want you to listen to me. Here's what disturbs me. Right now, 82 to 85, and I believe it's probably higher based on some of the stuff I've heard lately, 82 to 85% of all Christian seminaries teach replacement theology. What that means is they teach that the church replaced the nation of Israel. But like I taught you yesterday, there were two seeds in Abraham's loins. There was the natural seed, which was the Jewish people, and there is the supernatural seed, which is the church, and God deals with them, and they are prophetically connected together. So watch this. 1948, God gives birth to the nation of Israel. Would you like to know what God started doing in the church? Because they're prophetically connected. God heals a nation, and God, in 1948, all of a sudden, the healing movement breaks out all over America within two days of the establishment of the nation of Israel. Because what God does naturally in the church, He does, or naturally in Israel, He does supernaturally in the church. Are you with me? So the first sign that you are living in the last days is every day you can turn on your television set and Israel is at the center of the news. Israel is the apple of God's eye. And everybody wants to destroy Israel. Do you realize that Israel is the only democratic, stable nation in the entire Middle East and our administration wants to sail them down the river to people who burn our flags Urinate on our flags. I'm going to preach it whether you want to hear it or not. Let me tell you, you say, well, you shouldn't be talking politics. I want to tell you something. Jesus didn't, is not coming back on a red elephant, nor is he coming back on a blue donkey. He's coming back on a white horse. So you better get off the elephant and you better get off the donkey and you better get on the horse. But our administration is selling Israel down the river. Let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says in the book of Joel that if you divide the land, God will send His judgment upon our land. That's what Joel says. Joel says if we don't stand with Israel, God won't stand with us. If I had time, I'd talk to you about the Jewish connections to the founding of America. I'd talk to you about things like Christopher Columbus being a Jew. 
I talked to you about uh, them sailing, setting sail to go find a new land. Christopher Columbus wrote in his own journal the words of Isaiah the prophet saying that he felt that God was using him to go find a land, another land that would be a safe place for the Jews. Isaiah the prophet prophesied that and he wrote it in his journal and said, I'm fulfilling this prophecy. Stuff you're no longer taught in American history because it's not expedient for our American Western policies. Israel is a sign to you that you're living in last day. Number two, Jerusalem becomes the capital. 1967, Jerusalem becomes the capital. It is a sign to you that you're living in the last days. Now, let me read some scripture to you. And I want you to go in your Bible, Psalm 102, verse 13 and verse 16. Psalm 102, verse 13 and 16. Get in your Bible. This is very important that you see this, this word. Psalm 102. Hallelujah. Waiting on pages to turn. Psalm 102. Look at verse number 13, and then I'm going to go to verse 16, and then we're going to go to verse 18, okay? Look at what the Word says. Psalm 102, verse 13. You shall arise, you shall have mercy upon Zion. Everybody say Zion. This is another name for Jerusalem. For the time to favor her. Yes, the what? The set time. Everybody say the set time. Is come. Then verse 16, when the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. Did you get that? When the Lord shall build up Zion, he'll appear in his glory. Psalm 102, verse 18, this shall be written for the generation to come. For the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. Now listen to this very carefully. The second sign that we're living in the last days is Jerusalem is once again the capital of Israel. It's the capital. Now, what is the major thing that some of our parties have been talking about? We will not recognize Israel as a state. And they're pushing for a two-state solution. And right now in the Islamic community, what they're pushing for is for Israel to stop all building in Jerusalem. I go back to Matthew chapter 24, 32, you don't have to turn there. Matthew chapter 24, he said, when you see the Israel, the tree begin to come up, you know the nation is born. But when you see it, put out its branches and put forth its leaves. In other words, the nation is blooming and prospering. He said, you need to know that what I've prophesied about the last days is at the door. And this generation shall not pass till they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of glory. I personally believe that if you're born after 1967, that you are the Akaron, according to Hebrew, you are the final generation. I believe that with all of my heart. I really do. Now, I might die and not see that. I might be wrong about that, but I don't think I am because there's some other stuff you need to know about. Listen to what the Word says, and I'm going to condense this down. The Word says, when you see Jerusalem become the capital, you've got to understand, when David wrote this, he was in Zion. And David said, what I'm writing is not for you. I'm writing a Jerusalem blooming. When you see them, when the Lord favors Zion, when you see the set time come, the Lord favors Zion, you need to know that you're in a, 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 a divine moment of God's visitation when you see this. And he said, when you see it exploding, he said, I'm not writing this to you. I'm writing this for a generation that is to come. 
right now I can take you to Jerusalem. I can stand you upon the Mount of Olives or anywhere in Jerusalem, honestly. And we can look over the Temple Mount and there are cranes everywhere. There is buildings going up everywhere. In fact, would you like to know what the newest posters in Jerusalem are? It is a picture of Jerusalem with all of the building going on. And over the caption of the poster is Psalm 102. When the Lord shall build up Zion, He shall appear in His glory. I buy them every year. I buy them every year. Jerusalem is exploding. By the way, what is the world asking Jerusalem to do? Stop building. Stop building. Stop building. I want to tell you that that is a plot of the devil. Do you know why? Because the devil reads that book you got in your hand called a Bible. The devil knows the Word of God. And the devil knows this verse that when the Lord starts building up Jerusalem that the Messiah is about to come to Israel and set His feet upon the Mount of Olives. He knows that this is going to take place. And so what he does is he does everything politically, militarily, everything he can do to stop Israel and Jerusalem specifically from building because he knows that the Messiah is going to come. In fact, the Muslim religion went so far as to plant a, an entire Muslim graveyard in front of the eastern gate. And the reason they did it, they're not ashamed to tell you the reason they did it. The reason they did it is they read where the Messiah, when He comes, will set His feet upon the Mount of Olives and will walk through the eastern gate into the temple that has been rebuilt and He will take over from that point and set up upon the throne of His father David. And so what they did is they said He's a priest and the only way we can keep Him out is to put a graveyard there because a priest can't walk through a graveyard without defiling himself. So what we'll do is put a graveyard there. This will keep them coming. But they don't know God. Hallelujah. I said they don't know God. Allah is not God. The Encyclopedia of Religion says Allah is a prehistoric Baal cult. He's a Baal God. That's all He is. He's a moon deity. That's all He is. The Bible says when Jesus comes, He's going to set His feet upon the Mount of Olives, tap His toe, the earth is going to cleave in two. There's a fault line that runs from the Mount of Olives down the Kidron Valley to the Eastern Gate. It's going to cleave in two. The the land's going to part. It's going to roll graves back this way, roll graves back this way. It's going to open up the ceiling of the Eastern Gate. And our Lord is going to walk through without defilement as the great high priest. Now watch this. This is written for the generation to come. The word to come there is the Hebrew word akaron. This is written for the final generation. In other words, he said, when you see Jerusalem begin to build and explode... That's the final generation. And by the way, he says, and here's how you'll know you're in the final generation. Those people, they'll have radical praise. So watch this. Do you know what happened in 1967? Again, you've got two things going on, natural Israel and you've got the church. Do you know what happened in Israel? Jerusalem became the capital in 1967. The charismatic movement hit with all of this crazy praise and worship. Come on, you just can't read your Bible, you got to read your Bible. Number three, the third sign that you're living in the last day is Jews are returning to possess the land. Matthew chapter 24, verse 31. He shall send His angels with a great sound of the trumpet. They shall gather together His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now get this in your mind. From the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70 with Titus and the Roman 10th Legion surrounded the walls of Jerusalem, burnt the temple to the ground, confiscated the treasures, all of that stuff. 
all the way up to the 1900s, the Jews were scattered by something that you studied in, in your Bible classes called the diaspora. The scattering of the Jews to the four corners of the earth. All of a sudden, since 1967, the reestablishment of the nation of Israel, northern Iraq, Iran, Syria, uh, Africa, all of these different nations all over the world, literally, has been sending massive airlifts of thousands of Jews back to the homeland. Jews, for whatever reason, have gotten in their mind they want to go back to Israel. They find something in Israel. Now, this is not unnatural. This is unnatural. Who in their right mind wants to move to a region where you're a state, a nation the size of Rhode Island, amongst billions of people who hate you and are bent on your destruction? Who in their natural mind wants to... But yet Jews all of a sudden are having this overwhelming desire to get back to the nation of Israel. God said there's coming a day, how you'll know you're living in the last days, is you'll see all of these Jews that have been scattered to the four corners of the earth making their way back to the nation of Israel. In fact, in the aftermath of the breakup of the Soviet Union, right now 1.8 million Jews have immigrated back to Israel. That would be the equivalent, listen to this, of 40 million people deciding to move into the United States in the next two years. Can you imagine 40 million people immigrants moving to the United States and the United States, you know what the, what the problem we're having right now with immigration. Can you imagine 40 million moving in in two years? Yet this is what's going on in the land of Israel. This is what's going on while we're having church. And we don't even know that we're living in the set time, a day when God prophesied these things would happen and we would be the final generation. In fact, to get to Israel... They put the airport in an odd place. They put it in Tel Aviv. By the way, Tel Aviv is in your Bible. I don't care what your Bible teachers tell you. Tel Aviv is in the Bible. Every rabbi will show you where Tel Aviv is in your Bible. It's called Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is in your Bible. This is where the airport is. Do you know to get from Russia... To Tel Aviv, you've got to fly over the mountains of Israel, swoop down and land in Tel Aviv. And in the book of Jeremiah, God said, I'm going to bring them from the land of the north over the mountains of Israel. And then he said, let me go ahead and name the airline for you. This is before they had planes. God said, I'm going to name the airline. Would you like to know the name of the airline that brings them out of Russia almost on a daily or weekly basis into Israel? It's called Eagle's Wings. And Jeremiah said, my beloved will come out of the land of the north over the mountains of Jerusalem on Eagle's Wings. You say, well, that's a coincidence. Well, it might be. But ladies and gentlemen, I think God, you know, God has an attitude. He thinks He's God. He thinks He actually runs the show. He thinks He actually knows what's going on. Jeremiah, go to Jeremiah chapter 16. Let me show you one of the most powerful. When I found this scripture, we, we live in a nice neighborhood, and when I found this scripture... I got so excited one night, and I, I was late. I, I had I, I was dressed somewhat. I had my boxers on, my t-shirt on, and 
And I was sitting on the couch, and my wife, was, I was reading my Bible, and I was doing some study. I had to do some speaking, and they were asking me uh, to actually speak on a news program about current events and the nation of Israel. And so I was preparing, and I get to Jeremiah chapter 16. I read this verse, and I get so excited, I start shouting, and I run out my door it, down into the street in my boxers and a T-shirt. I promise you, I did that. My wife thought I had lost my ever-loving mind tore me all to pieces. Jeremiah 16 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Look at verse 14. Therefore, behold, the days come, says the Lord, that it shall no more be said that the Lord lives that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But it will be said, the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north, from all the lands where He has driven them. I will bring them again into their land that I gave to their fathers. Now see, that doesn't hit you like it hits me. Because I understand a little bit about Bible prophecy. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says there's coming a day that the world, and specifically the Jewish people in Israel, will no longer sit around their kitchen table and say, Wow, do you remember when God brought up all the children of Israel out of, out of Pharaoh's grip, out of the land of Egypt? They won't talk about that anymore. He said what they're going to do is they'll be talking about all of these Jewish immigrants coming back from the four corners there and specifically out of the land of the north he said they're going to sit around and talk about that by the way hold it what's in your news right now do you know why they're telling them stop building in jerusalem because all these immigrants are coming in they're building for these immigrants Why is there such a dispute over the land of Israel and over Jerusalem? Because God is fulfilling His Word. And while you're sitting here and I'm sitting here having church, prophetic things are happening and we cannot discern the signs of the times that we're living in. We're close to the coming of the Lord than we've ever been. And you're the only generation that's ever been able to say you've seen Jerusalem become the capital of Israel. Can I go on? All right. Number four. How do I know that we're living in the last days? This is going to be tough. Ready? The alignment of the nations. Whoo, hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to do something with me. I'll ask you to go in your Bible to the book of Jeremiah 49. Jeremiah 49. Praise God. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. Just give me till the next point, and then I'll part your hair, and we'll blow snot and jump and flip and all that stuff, okay? Now, I want you to write two passage, two other passages down. I want you to go to Jeremiah 49. You can write that down. But I want you to write two other passages down. I have five minutes? That's all? Is that for real? No, that's not right. I got an hour and five minutes. Hey. No, I just... All right. All right. Two other passages I want you to write down. Write these passages down. I want you to go read them sometime. Ezekiel 38 and 39. Write them down. Ezekiel 38 and 39. And then I want you to write down Psalm 83. Ezekiel 38 and 39 and Psalm 83. Okay? Now, the fourth sign that I know that we're living in the last days is that all of the nations that have been prophesied in the Scripture that would rise up and align themselves against the nation of Israel, it's all happening right now. I've got a question for you. Why is the greatest nation in the history of the world the United States? The greatest mission-sending nation, 
the greatest gospel publishing nation, the greatest nation when it comes to helping the poor and the needy around the world. This is not something they tell you, by the way, in the news. You know, we're a bunch of grievel, evil idiots. That's what everybody wants you to think. That's not true. Why is the greatest nation in military power with the greatest influence technologically than any other nation? Why is the greatest nation on the face of the globe not mentioned one time in your Bible? Now, if we're living in the last days, if we're the generation that sees Israel become the capital, Jerusalem or Israel become a state, a nation, it, Jerusalem become the capital, see the Jews returning to possess the land to fulfill Jeremiah chapter 16, why is the greatest nation on the face of the planet? By the way, we're the most prosperous nation on the face of the planet. The most prosperous. You say, I don't believe that. Everybody's struggling. No, no. In, in America, your poverty level is different than the rest of the world. Poverty in the rest of the world is $1.50 to $2 a day. In America, poverty is $24 a day, plus the government provides you a cell phone, the government provides you a paycheck, plus the government provides you housing, plus government helps you pay your electricity and your water bills. And, plus... and by the way, you better get off of that if you're in here because that's going to end shortly. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get to where you've got to do what the Word says. You gotta actually do it, you know. You gotta actually work for a living, and you gotta actually give and be a receiver, and all. Oh, doesn't anyway. Imagine that. Anyway, I, I need to get off of that right there. I got a little pet peeve on that. Okay. Why is the greatest nation in Bible prophecy not mentioned, or in world history, not mentioned one time when it comes to the last days in Bible prophecy? And specifically, I got another question. Why is the greatest nation who is the only ally to the nation of Israel? The only. Not mentioned one time in Ezekiel 38, 39, Jeremiah 49, Psalm 83, when it talks about all the wars in the last days that's going to take place in the nation of Israel. Why are they not mentioned one time? Could it be that all of this Muslim uprising that you have seen in that part of the world is rising up to push America completely out of the Middle East? And that's the reason America's not seen in those prophetic passages in that part of the world. It's not that we'll cease to exist as a, or be a nation. There's going to be other nations mentioned in the Bible. Uh, there's going to be other nations in existence other than just those Islamic nations that are mentioned, the ten-toed kingdoms of the Antichrist. There's going to be other nations mentioned. How do I know that? Matthew 24 tells me that because there's going to be something called the judgment of the nations. Other nations are going to be brought and judged, and there's going to be nations that will be judged. By the way, that judgment is when Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom, he's going to judge all the nations of the earth. Do you know what he's going to judge them on? He's not going to judge them how, how they help the poor. He's going to judge them on whether or not they stood with the nation of Israel against their enemies. That's his judgment. All right? So, again, we don't see America there at all. But here's what we do see. We see every single nation that's mentioned in Bible prophecy in the last days that God said would come against the nation of Israel have aligned themselves and they're standing up right now. By the way, many of these nations, when they were prophesied, did not even exist. Many of them. So when I say to you, the first generation in 3,500 years that have seen the things that you've seen, I'm telling you the truth. Because many of these nations have turned and shaped themselves against the nation of Israel, fulfilling Bible prophecy. Can I give you a list of them? 
All right, Ezekiel 38 and 39. I'm going to just give you five or six nations here. Uh, the first one is Persia. Who's Persia? Iran. Everybody say Iran. Ethiopia. Ethiopia is not modern-day Ethiopia. Ethiopia in biblical times was the Sudan, Somalia, those areas. Are you with me? The, the next one, Ezekiel 38.5, is Libya. Anybody heard about Libya lately? Our ambassador was just killed there. Libya. And then Ezekiel 38.6 is Gomer. Many people believe this to be Germany, but it could actually be the eastern part of Germany, which is has become predominantly Muslim. Togarma is Turkey and southern Russia. Now watch this. This is amazing to me. Iran has now become a major issue. Somalia and Sudan, where all of those terrorist attacks take place against our warships, has become a major issue. Libya has become a major issue. Turkey has become a major issue. Turkey used to be somewhat of an ally to Israel. Now they have defamed them in the United Nations. They've turned against Israel. And Russia is aligning themselves with these nations. Turkey and Syria, Russia is aligning themselves. All of the uprising in Syria, southern Russia is providing them the arms for it. So Ezekiel 38 and 39, all of those nations are in existence, and every single one of them have aligned themselves against the nation of Israel. Let me take it a step further. Psalm 83. Now, I'm not going to go through all of these. In Psalm 83, you're not just given uh, nations... I'm going somewhere. Just please give me just one minute. This is very important information. The Bible says that uh, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You need to know this stuff. In Psalm 83, there's a list of nations. They're not really nations. They're more territories. It's almost like God lists territories instead of nations. But in Psalm 83, He lists the tents of Edom. The tents of Edom are Palestinian refugees and southern Jordanians. He lists the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites are Saudi Arabians. He lists the Moabites. The Moabites are central Jordanians. He lists the Hagarites. Everybody say the Hagarites. These are the descendants of Hagar. Would you like to know where they are? Egypt. Has Egypt been an issue lately? By the way, do you remember the Arab Spring? Do you remember all of Egypt being overturned and people rioting in the streets? Here's something the news media didn't report, but every one of our missionaries did. Did you know we had Assembly of God missionaries that were in Egypt that came back home on furlough? They know I teach Bible prophecy. They called me and said, Shane, can you tell me what this means? I said, what? He said, all of the rioting that you're seeing in the streets, they're chanting the same thing. Everybody's chanting the same thing. I said, yeah, they want the uh, Mubarak to step down. They said, no, that's not what they're chanting. I said, what are they chanting? They're saying they're chanting all the way to Jerusalem, all the way to Jerusalem, all the way to Jerusalem. So now the Muslim Brotherhood installs the new president. What does he do? On inauguration day, his speech is this. We will go all the way to Jerusalem and make Jerusalem the capital of Islam or we will die martyrs doing it. So now Egypt, who was somewhat of an ally to the United States and to Israel in the Middle East, now Egypt has been given over to the Muslim Brotherhood and they are fulfilling Psalm 83. And ladies and gentlemen, that's just happened in the last 12 to 14 months. 
If you want to really listen to something stupid, go to, go to the uh, United Nations, pull up on YouTube, and listen to the Egyptian president get up and, and basically uh, pat, uh, uh, you know, Ahmadinejad. I, I hate saying his name. I, I don't call him Ahmadinejad. I call him Almond Joy because sometimes you feel like a nut and sometimes you don't. But anyway... <laughs> Come on, help me now, okay? <laughs> so he's praising Ahmadinejad and, and, and saying basically that, uh, you know, this little video that this guy puts out is the reason for the whole Muslim world turning against the United States. That is not the truth. It's two different paradigms of thinking. Totally different. So anyway, you got the Hagarites men. You got Gibal or Gibal. Gibal is northern Lebanon or Lebanon. Ammon, Palestinian refugees and northern Jordanians. You have the Amalekites. The Amalekites are all the Arabs, the other Arabs south of Israel. You have Philistia. Philistia is Palestinian refugees. But by the way, it's specific group. Philistia is a specific group. Anybody ever heard of Hamas? Anybody ever heard of the Gaza Strip? Hamas is the terrorist organization in the Gaza Strip. God lists the terrorists by name before they ever existed. He goes down, he makes the inhabitants of Tyre. This is Hezbollah, another terrorist organization. He has the Assyrians. These are Syrians and perhaps some of the northern Iraqis, and the children of Lot, which are Moab and Annan. So watch this. In Ezekiel 38 and 39, you have these nations listed. Psalm 83, you have these nations listed. Every Bible prophecy teacher I know of will teach you that Ezekiel 38 and, 9, uh, 38 and 39 and Psalm 83 are two totally different wars. Two totally different wars. And every one of them will tell you, now follow me here, every one of them will tell you that the first war is Psalm 83. In Psalm 83, they're chanting one thing. That we're going to remove Israel from off the face of the earth so that they will not be a remembrance anymore. We don't want anybody to remember the nation of Israel. And Ahmadinejad stands up in the last UN conference and said, it is a shame for the world to even have to say Israel. Exactly the same thing. So watch this. Psalm 83 is supposed to be first. Then Ezekiel 38-39 is another war that will follow that, right? Here's my question for you. Ezekiel 38 and 39, Iran is mentioned. Psalm 83, Iran's not mentioned at all. But Psalm 83 has to be first. So my question is, where is Iran? Especially in Psalm 83, everybody's saying the same thing that Iran is saying, but Iran's not mentioned in there as a group of people that's going to come against Israel in the Psalm 83 war. And I got to study in my Bible and I found Jeremiah chapter 49. Come on, get over there. Here it goes. It's going to be good now. Everybody looks at your neighbor and say, hang on. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet, verse 34, against Elam. Everybody say Elam. In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, thus says the Lord, behold, I will break the bow of Elam. The foremost of their might against Elam, I will bring the four winds, four quarters of heaven and scatter them toward all of those winds. And there shall be no nations where the outcast of Elam will not go. Who is Elam? Elam is Iran. Elam is an ancient name for Iran. So watch this. Ezekiel 38 and 39, Iran is mentioned as coming against the nation of Israel. Psalm 83, Iran's not even mentioned in that group of nations. But yet everybody in those nations are saying the same thing Iran is saying. So where is Iran at? There will be a war. There will be something that will be a precursor 
for Psalm 83. Can I tell you what it is? Jeremiah chapter 49, God said, I'm going to attack Iran. I'm going to attack Iran. And God just gets specific with it. He said, I'm not only going to attack Iran. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hit Iran in their weapon. Because a bow is a weapon. And then he says, oh yeah, it's not just any weapon. Let me make sure I clarify it. It's the weapon where they think they have all of their might. So now the issue over the nuclear capability, Iran is going to be hit. So Israel, right now, I've got inside sources that say that Israel, and there's negotiations that are trying to make him push it to after the election. America's trying to make him wait to after the election. But I have sources that say sometime after the Feast of Tabernacles, which starts this Sunday, within the next couple of weeks, that Israel is preparing for war. Right now, they're moving armories up until the northern side. They're preparing for war. They're preparing to attack Iran. Ladies and gentlemen, if that happens, would you like to know the Israeli defense system, the, the military, the, 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 the weapon that they're going to use outside of planes? Even the planes carry these weapons. Would you like to know the name of the weapon that they're going to fire on these nuclear places? It's called the arrow. So Iran has the bow, but God said, nana, nana, boo, boo, you got a big gun. Let me put the arrow in your bow for you. I'm going to attack you in the cheapest of your might. Now stop. The Bible says when this happens, that of course there's going to be refugees that are going to have to flee the land. Where are these refugees going to go? Psalm 83. Psalm 83 is all the territories that these refugees will go to. And when they go to them, it'll stir the whole Muslim up to come, the Muslim world up to come more against the nation of Iran. But of course, God's going to win that war too. By this time, we get to Ezekiel 38, 39. Another war is coming and now Russia is coming down. Gog and Magog's coming down, joining with these nations. They're going to come against Israel. But again, God's going to win the war because the God who never sleeps and the God who never slumbers watches out after Israel. And He also watches out after the church. Now why is this important? Because if there is spirit, if there is natural warfare going on in Israel, there is a spiritual warfare going on in the church. So if God is about to defeat a natural enemy of Israel, that means God is about to defeat some supernatural enemies that are in the body of Christ. That anti-Christ, anti-anointing spirit that is coming to the body of Christ, God's about to drive that thing out. I close because I'm done, but listen to me. There's one more sign. There's one more sign that you live in the last days. Are you ready for this? Joel said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on your handmaidens in those days, I'll pour out of my spirit. Listen, here's the last sign and the most powerful prophetic sign. The most powerful prophetic sign of the coming of the Lord is not the nations aligning themselves. It's not anything else happening. The most powerful prophetic sign is God is pouring His spirit out on students in Oakland, California who are going into the devil's territory and they're taking back everything that the enemy stole from them. And according to Malachi chapter 3 and Malachi chapter 4, he tells you what this spirit is going to look like. He said it will be the spirit of Elijah. He said it will be the spirit of Elijah. Allah, I told you, is a Baal God. Everybody say Baal. Baal. 
Who was the prophetic or what was the prophetic anointing that came against Baal? It was the spirit of Elijah. Hey, there's a Holy Ghost showdown that's about to happen. God, listen, as the spirit of Baal is running through the world, I believe where sin does abound, grace does much more abound, and God's about to raise the spirit of Elijah up on the last generation who will confront it. That means signs, wonders, miracles, the power of God is going to be in demonstration on you. Ah,